if there is one thing that Jacqueline Charles of the Miami Herald wants you to understand about Haiti, it is that this is a land of contradictions. She knows what you've heard about kidnappings and gangs. She's reported on all of that. But she sees this place a little differently. She's Haitian, after all. The last time we spoke, I remember you telling me that you take vacations in Haiti. Am I remembering that right? Yes, you are correct. (laughs) And I took one this year in Haiti. This was back in January. Haiti was hosting its annual jazz festival. Usually, it would be held in the capital, Port-au-Prince. It got moved this year to Cape Haitian. It's safer there. So Jacqueline packed her bags. It was important for me to do that this year because I needed to feel um, a sense of normalcy. I needed to be able to walk a Haiti street without the fear of kidnapping, without looking over my shoulders, without thinking about gangs. But there were all these little tells that things weren't quite normal. Like the fact that even people traveling to the show from inside Haiti itself couldn't get there by car. They had to fly, the majority of them, you know, because to drive from one region to the other is to take your life literally in your own hands. Haiti is a country of many realities. You don't know when it's going to turn. And I will tell you, a week later, things did get volatile. It is the volatility you're probably familiar with, especially over the last few weeks. A humanitarian crisis worsening in Haiti, violent gangs overpowering police and now pushing out Americans. According to the United Nations, authorities have already registered more than a thousand kidnappings in Haiti this year. And the country's rapid gang violence is only getting worse. And Haitians are living in fear and chaos. Jacqueline has returned again and again, trying to understand what the way forward looks like in her home country. The one thing she knows is that whatever happens now is not going to be easy. The last time she touched down, she was reluctant to venture too deep into Port-au-Prince on her own. She stayed at an airport hotel, planned all her trips carefully. You know, in the back of your mind, you're always thinking that, you know, somebody or a group could be lurking around a corner um, or you can inadvertently drive through some sort of a trap where you end up becoming the next, you know, kidnap victim because this is how it is in this country. Oh my gosh. I mean, like that, to be vigilant like that must just feel terrible. Yeah. And, and people have to be vigilant like that every single day. Today on the show, the United Nations and Haitians themselves have been trying to devise a plan to lift this country out of chaos. Will it work? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Can you catch me up on where things are in Haiti? Like take me back to the summer of 2021 and what happened then that set the country off on its current trajectory? Well, let's go back a little bit before. I think that, you know, Haiti became came on everybody's radar um, July 7th, 2021, when the president was assassinated. But prior to that, things were already going downhill. I mean, there were issues with gangs. There was issues with kidnappings. Um, the president was ruling by decree because there was no parliament. Local elected officials all had been appointed. So you had a country that was already in the midst of a constitutional crisis. And the president's own mandate in terms of when did his presidency end was also a huge debate. And this controversy continued to follow him. Back in 2021, the president of Haiti was Jovenel Moïse. He'd been elected in 2016. But Haitians had not gone to the polls since. And towards the end of his presidency, as we are approaching July 2021, he is the subject of massive anti-government protests, accusations that he is be- trying to become Latin America and the Caribbean's next dictator. He was trying to change the constitution. And then you had February 7th, 2021, where he announced that there had been a coup attempt against him. And Dozens of people were arrested literally in the middle of the night. And among those that were arrested was a Supreme Court justice. So you had that in February 7th, 2021. And then July 7th, 2021, the president is assassinated. And today, his assassination still remains unsolved. You know, we still don't know. Wow. So who's in charge in Haiti right now? So currently you have Ariel Henry, who's a neurosurgeon who was tapped by Jovenel Moise prior to his murder, but Jovenel did not have time to install him, to swear him in. And so that was also an issue for groups in Haiti who basically felt that there should be a new group put in power to lead a transition. You can see this volatility in the UN's reporting about a spike in kidnappings recently. Can you just explain what the UN said and and how that differs from previous years? Well, what the UN is saying is that they've already documented close to 300 kidnappings of women and children. Um, In particular, they just issued a report this week that that number is close to all that was reported for last year and almost three times what was reported for the year before. Oh, wow. 
and remembering that kidnappings is a is something that's underreported. And the UN, especially UNICEF, has been increasingly concerned about the vulnerability of children, the fact that, you know, schools have been taken over by gangs in some places. Children cannot get to school because gangs, you know, are along the route. The UN has struggled to raise funds for the overall humanitarian crisis in Haiti because outside of the insecurity issue you have where almost half of the population is in need of some humanitarian assistance, about 5.2 million people, three million of them being children. And they've put out an appeal for $720 million, but the world is just not responding. Last month, an American nurse named Alex Dorsonville became one of the latest kidnapping victims. She was taken along with her daughter near Port-au-Prince. The abduction happened the same day that the U.S. told its non-essential embassy staff that they needed to leave the country because it's getting too dangerous, although it doesn't seem like these two events were connected. On Wednesday, the aid organization Dorsonville works for said she'd been released and is now safe. And Jacqueline says, even though this case seems like a grim example of what's become an everyday crime in Haiti, in one key way, Alex's case is atypical. I mean, it's interesting. I think this case brought Haiti back to the international world's attention. But the reality is, is that people are kidnapped in Haiti almost every day. Today, we have the former head of the Electoral Council, who is also a journalist. He was kidnapped over a month ago, and he is still being held. We had a prominent gynecologist in the Ministry of Health who was also kidnapped. And while he was being held, his wife reportedly died. And it's unfortunate that when it's foreigners that that are kidnapped, that's when people sort of remember, oh, yeah, there's Haiti and there's a problem. You alluded to the fact that when an American nurse or child go missing, it sort of refocuses the world's attention on Haiti, even though these sorts of things are happening every day in Haiti. I wonder if you think it's possible that because this nurse has been kidnapped, attention may shift in a way that brings more resources, more supplies, more of what Haiti needs to the country. We had 16 missionaries, 16 American missionaries and a Canadian missionary who were kidnapped and held for the most, what, two months. And so my question would be back to you in terms of what supplies and what resources came to the country after that incident. There were reports, it was a lot of focus, and today the country is still struggling with the issue of security. No one says, well, we're going to fund the $720 million dollars that the UN is asking for, for humanitarian assistance. What I'm saying is that since that particular incident occurred, things haven't necessarily improved in the landscape. The struggle is still there. And one may even argue that things have gotten worse in terms of the outreach and the grip of gangs, particularly in Port-au-Prince and in the Artemonic Valley. After the break, the United States is backing a plan that would put Kenyan police on the front lines in Haiti. So what would that mean? The future of America is in your hands. This is not a movie trailer, and it's not a political ad, but it is a call to action. 
I'm Mila Atmos, and I'm passionate about unlocking the power of everyday citizens. On our podcast, Future Hindsight, we take big ideas about civic life and democracy and turn them into action items for you and me. Every Thursday, we talk to bold activists and civic innovators to help you understand your power and your power to change the status quo. Find us at futurehindsight.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last year, Haiti officially asked the international community for help. But it's taken a while for that help to materialize. First, there was a push to get Canada to lead some kind of aid effort. When they demurred, the U.S. did not want to take the lead, and neither did many other countries. The Bahamas, Jamaica, they all said they'd provide support, but would not take the reins. Finally, in July, Kenya said it would be interested in sending a 1,000 police officers to help the Haitian police. How this is all going to work is still an open question, but the goal is clear, electing a government the Haitian people can trust. The interesting thing is that prior to the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moïse, it was like full steam ahead, elections, 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 even while Haitians on the ground were saying, how are we going to go to the ballot box when we have a gang problem, when we have an issue with insecurity? Yeah, the first thing you need for elections is safety. Exactly. And so I think that's been the biggest change in this is that, you know, after the assassination of the president, there was a finally a recognition on a part, especially with the United States, that safety is an important element in order for you to have an election. And so for a while, we did not hear them talk about elections at all. Now, what you're starting to hear is this discussion about elections, you know, when the security conditions permit. I think the key element in all of this and what people are going to be looking for with this Kenya is that are these guys coming in to sort of create that safety for elections and elections only? Or are they coming in to really help the police in going after the gangs? It's unclear how long a force would be in and what it will be doing. While gangs don't control the entire country, they do have a tight grip on ports and roads that are essential for moving goods, especially desperately needed diesel fuel. Last year, as a cholera epidemic threatened the population, The United Nations called for the establishment of a humanitarian corridor to help deliver desperately needed supplies. It's unclear if this new multinational force would be in charge of protecting this kind of key infrastructure. So the questions that some people have brought up, okay, so if you have a foreign force in there and their job is to man, say, the port or the airport, but you have a human rights situation across town, and they're not mandated to intercede, then what do you do there? I think the only thing that everybody can agree on is that nobody wants this to fail as far as the international community. They can't afford to have this fail. And so they now is where the hard work begins. The challenge was getting a country. So if Kenya decides that they are going to do that, and then it's going to be how do you shape this so that it does have um, some effect? And it's not just you know, additional bodies onto, you know, onto your national police. I was reading an opinion piece by the executive director of a group known as the National Human Rights Defense Network. He and his colleagues had spent months interviewing Haitian police and everyday people on the ground in Haiti. And he had this warning about focusing on the police and supporting the police. He basically said, police aren't the answer because a number of Haitian police are in league with gangs. There are a number of police who are not and who need support, but there are a number who are. What do you make of that take? 
Well, I think that, you know, again, it's, as you mentioned, it's an opinion piece and and it's his perspective. But then if you talk to police officers too, who are out there and who are going after these gangs, they will tell you that they need the help, that they need the assistance. You know, I know police officers who have been carrying out a mission since the 29th of January and they haven't had a moment's break. I mean, could you imagine every single day having to not just suit up, but, you know, to get into a vehicle and to go and to run operations and trying to go after, you know, go after gangs. The Kenya issue is not a done deal. They're considering it. We don't know if at the end they're going to say yay or nay, um, but the problem's still there. And even if Kenya decides to go into Haiti to assist, it's not a miracle cure. It's not a miracle pill that all of a sudden, you know, your insecurity problem is going to go away. You kill a gang leader today, there are 10 young people that are thinking that this is the way, this is the life because they don't see any other options. What are you looking for as decisions are made about what that help looks like that might signal some kind of change in the status quo? Well, I think that that is, that's the key question here. I mean, one is what is Kenya's help going to look like? I mean, you know, the UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez was given 30 days until August 15th to report back to the Security Council on what a security mission may look like, what, you know, security assistance to Haiti could look like. And so that's going to be part of the debate, part of the discussion at the UN Security Council. Um, And that's one of the things that Kenya is going to be looking at when they send their assessment team to Haiti. They're also looking to hear back from the Haitian government in terms of what they would like. Um, I think everybody probably has a different idea of this. And this is where, you know, the US, the UN and, and the Haitians all have to sit around the table and figure out, you know, what can they pull together um, in terms of a mandate that will have some, you know, that will have some impact? Uh, Kenya is a country that's English speaking. It's not French speaking. So there are some obvious challenges that you're going to have there. This is a police force. It's not military. Um, you know, this is a country that doesn't have helicopters. It doesn't have planes. The police is already under equipped. So, you know, there's a lot there that's going to have that they're going to have to figure out. I imagine you're still texting and chatting with sources and family in Haiti. What is their sense of whether this Kenyan mission will make a difference? You know, as we started this conversation, I talked about the maneuvering that one has to do to leave your house, whether it's to go to a doctor's appointment if your doctor hasn't left or to, you know, to send your kid to school or just a basic errand. You know, it's it's all thinking and strategy and is it worth it, you know, because this can happen, that can happen. And so people just want the ability to breathe. That's 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 what they want. Um, to not feel like a prisoner you know, in their in, in, in their own skin, in their own home, in their own existence. Today, it's no longer just this particular neighborhood that's being targeted or this particular area that's in danger. What we have seen is that the gangs have encroached outside of their fiefdoms um, and whether rich, poor, everyone is being victimized. The average Haitian just wants a moment to breathe. Jacqueline, thank you again. I'm so grateful for your reporting and your time. Thank you. Jacqueline Charles is the Haiti and Caribbean correspondent for the Miami Herald. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. That is our membership program. You get ad-free access to all of our podcasts, including this one. 
as well as all access to Slate.com. Go learn more at Slate.com slash whatnextplus. What Next is produced by Alana Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.